Welcome to the Panoramic Outdoors Podcast, connecting you to all things outdoors. Well, welcome you back to episode 147, Panoramic Outdoors podcast. And to us, we got a familiar guest on here. We know her quite well, but to you, she might be new, maybe not. You might know her around the Instagram world as Turkey Grill, but we uh, would love to welcome Melissa Lindsay to the podcast today. We're going to chat a little turkey hunting right before season starts up. But first, before we get to that, Sheldon, how are you doing? How are stars doing, more importantly? Well, first of all, have you had a cup of coffee tonight? Because you're just yeah. buzzing. I'm you're flying, giving... man. The Jets That's... made playoffs. Yeah, I know. I was actually making fun of someone the other day because, and I don't know, I even know if it makes sense. It was like, oh, right on, the Jets clinched. I'm like, well, they didn't really clinch. They just finally made it. Like, like <laughs> they the just last squeaked one's in. They, they didn't not completely fuck it up. That's what they yeah. did. Like when, when the Boston Bruins clinched like a month ago, that's clinching playoffs. Like, um, but yeah, things have been. I, I was clinching my butthole the whole <laughs> last couple of weekends here. Um, things have been going really good. Um, with the Dallas Stars, they're looking really good. Hopefully, they'll you know scrape together a couple more wins and you know maybe get to get the better uh, draw. But uh, we're we're in playoffs, so that's good. And I was kind of hoping the Dallas Jets start like Dallas versus the Jets off the very start. So you know it's it's always fun uh, with everyone around home because everyone cheers for the Jets. But um, been doing a lot of you, you still owe me a six pack too. I think I do owe you a six pack. I do, and hold me to it. Hold me to it. <laughs> huh. Um, but yeah, I've been getting a lot of stuff kind of prepped for Parkland Outdoor Show in Yorkton, April 29th weekend. Uh, we're heading there. I'm taking Hack with me. He's going to be doing some competitive bow shooting while he's there. Um, and I'm going to have the booth set up. So anybody that's going to be there or around Yorkton at that time, come down and say hi to us. Um, one of the great things about it is that there's going to be a whole bunch of other vendors there, like Dry Shot I've seen on the list. If you go to their website, Parkland Outdoor Show, uh, on the old interweb, you can see the exhibitor list and you'll see a whole bunch of familiar names that we've not only had on the podcast previously, you know, companies that we've, we wear and we, we, we love, um, you know, co-op is one of them that, uh, is a huge supporter for us going. So anybody that's, uh, looking to help us out or spread the word or doing whatever, um, going to get fuel or groceries or, or, uh, hardware at your local co-op does us favors. Right. So, um, check them out co-op that's all over Canada. They got like 900 locations, uh, locally owned. It's a, it's a great spot. They always support a lot of local, uh, um, not businesses. What do they call Tristan local activities, it, venues? Well, there's, they got their local food section. They tons of local produce and, uh, you can also like find a lot of like options in there. Just like all the, I know, catching cooks at the co-ops, you can find, just everything that that's made in Manitoba is, is in co-op. So if you're from Manitoba, go check it out. I know Selkirk, I'm really excited. They recently just renovated there. So I got to sneak back in. They're doing it in a section. So I can't wait till it's all wrapped up. It's going to look pretty fresh awesome. in, in the co-op Selkirk there. Yeah. So help us out by helping out co-op and just checking them out. Get your supplies there. Uh, it means, means the world to us. So thanks a lot to co-op and all their members. Um, but yeah, I've been, uh, other than that, other than prepping for the Yorkton getaway, my vacation, um, been doing a bit of fishing. I was up north for the last three weeks, so I got a little fishing in. 
and it's nice man being on the ice with a uh, sweater weather it's a nice change it looked good it looked good it looked a lot better than what i had been participating in which i thought was going to be march madness and turned out <laughs> to be march slowness and uh i just never got on the fish in march got out a couple times um we tried and just couldn't seem to connect for whatever reason i've seen i've seen some other people connecting so i'm starting to think it's just me which is fine that's why we bring smart intelligent guests on the show is to to correct where we have lacking knowledge on things like fishing, hunting, and cooking. Yeah. But it looked like you had a good time up north there fishing. Were you fishing the crop? I was fishing the crop. There's no river grizzlies this time. So that was great. <laughs> um, but yeah, like got onto the perch. Um, well, I fished kind of the same spot three times, I think, while I was up there. Two or three times. And um, yeah, or sorry, two times. And then I went to another spot on the Grass River and it was awesome man like we went in there uh, with big hopes big hopes and big dreams uh, my cousin was in there a few days beforehand so and he said he did really well so we went out there put a line in the water two seconds later you know caught a 34 35 inch jack um so i'm like oh my god this is gonna be awesome and then sat there with dead rods for about an hour had a bite to eat um and then the walleye and jack started biting again right till dark so we had an awesome, awesome time on the ice then. And then, yeah, at the um, partridge crop, we, we we hammered the perch. We got a lot of nice perch. And, like, they're such a beautiful fish, even though, like, they're I think they're invasive for Manitoba, but such a beautiful fish, and uh, they're good eating. So it's a nice, perch? nice. Yeah. No, I they're, I don't think they're invasive, man. I think they're a, a native species. To, oh, are they? Yeah. Maybe, well, maybe I'm getting maybe I'm getting mixed up with, like, certain lakes. They're invasive, right? Like yeah that, that, that's definitely possible like in other lakes um like especially like i know they worry about some of the trout lakes sometimes right. where they can be right. really aggressive yeah but, i think yeah i think i'm confused there but yeah beautiful fish and good eating man we had some good feast on those so amazing yeah yeah and i was wondering are you going to are you going to say anything to me on this episode about any oh your birthday yeah it's your turn 29 again 29 again yeah it's, nice. it's been the longest run of 29 but it's been Happy a good birthday. run thanks buddy that's yeah. awesome and uh i'll let you know i'll let everyone else know too that uh I did get a little lucky on the birthday there and oh. got, yeah yeah got a quantum accurist i was wanting another kind of like trolling setup for like walleye and and bass and maybe some small um small lake trout and uh i needed a bait caster so sean at harvester i didn't you know what i did i I told carly i said you know what just go talk to sean and sean will help you out right and so, so it was kind of nice to be able to do that a because i know sean's a nice guy and not gonna fleece her um and two because i actually know sean knows what he's talking about and i'm not just sending carly into like there's been a few times where we're gonna say that we've gone to other stores that will not be named and i'm gonna say that i don't know everything about fishing but there's a few questionable some questionable advice i've received in the past let's just put it that way yeah about the the bait you need to be running or the the line you need to be running or the certain latest hook setup that's uh yeah i'll leave it at that but just a huge shout out to sean at harvester for for helping me out on my birthday it made me feel extra special so thank you sean and if uh if you like supporting the local outdoor shops we love it because they're a i don't have to drive all the way to winnipeg b you know that they're going to give you kind of quality service so do us a favor do them a favor you can check out harvester outdoors and selkirk they're online to harvesteroutdoors.com nice the 
the other thing about Harvester too, I just dot seen, ca. Sorry, dot ca. Dot ca. I seen on uh, online they have some more awesome sales. Like, um, you know, they've got some commercial nets for sale. They got some fishing rods, I think, on sale. They've got a whole bunch know, of stuff. I don't know how he does it, man. He's just got these sales that they're like scorching hot deals. I know. And I was telling my buddies from Winnipeg about a few of them. They couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, no, go, go check it out. Go do it. Um, I'm not lying to you. So <laughs> um, another, so I got one more quick story about the North here. We went for like a little family fishing day. So my sister and her husband and their two kids, like my niece, and my nephew, my dad was up there, uh, a couple of cousins and we we're all out there fishing. And Henry, he's like three turning four here right away. And doesn't like touching fish, right? Like he's scared of them. And I blame it on my sister because she's like a little jumpy, you know, if the fish flops, she's, she'll hold a fish. But, you know, anyways, I blame it on her. But Henry doesn't like touching fish. So then Simon, uh, who's my sister's husband, gets a bite, calls Henry over and gets him to reel it in. And it was just like a little snot rocket, right? And he was so proud of that fish. And, and Simon's like, okay, we'll hold it. We'll get a picture. And he wouldn't do it, wouldn't do it. And so then it was just kind of sitting there on the ice. Simon unhooked. It was just sitting there on the ice and Henry's looking at it and everyone kind of like quit paying attention to him. And then like, I looked over and he bent down and he was like petting it with his mitt on. And then all of a sudden <laughs> he was holding it. And all of a sudden he was like holding it up against his chest, walking around with this fish. He was so proud of it. So we had to, uh, that poor little fish, we had to cut it up, but um yeah he was super pumped and it's cool just to see the evolution of someone being scared of fish to like all of a sudden it was like his pet and he wanted to take it home and eat it so um not like That's his funny. pet that's it's a bad yeah. bad way to say it, but <laughs> well hey you know sometimes uh when the fish aren't biting <laughs> yeah exactly so yeah that's funny but, hey i gotta ask you where you uh where you're rocking the wool of up north there I was rocking the wool up. And the thing about it is that um, I wore, I, well, I have like a couple sets of it, but when I was up north, because um, I do driving and stuff like that, I hate wearing big jackets when it's cold out. So I layer up. I wear my wool of like a sweater and a vest a lot of times, like during the day. And so I wore that stuff every day, man. And I love it. I, I, I haven't even took it off. I just took it off. Like when I got back to Brandon here, like I wore it every day. Yeah, it's it's nice. It's comfortable. Chase was over the other day too, even just for Thanksgiving. He was just walk, rocking straight wool off. There was no no shame about it. He he treats it as just like a, a going out shirt. And uh, yeah, well, they yeah. and they actually look good. Like I like I have that zip up one, and I wear that kind of as like a second layer. Um, and uh, yeah, if it's like when I was ice fishing, I had I was just wearing it on the ice. It was so nice out. But oh, totally, lots of options. But yeah, they do look sharp, and it's just it's uh, it's funny. Chase is just still in it all the time. So <laughs> gotta love it, man. Gotta love it. And uh, yeah, if you if you're curious, we talk about it a lot, obviously. But if if you want to get into some, you can check them out online. Wool.love. They're also on Amazon. And if you're checking them out on their website, though, be sure to use the discount code Panoramic15. And that is going to get you a discount off your purchase. Yeah. A um, couple of things a little bit on a more, I don't know if it's more serious note, um, but did I send you that letter from the MKO? I did. I did see the letter regarding the moose hunt, right? And how right. The, there was a, uh, a push to have, um, to prioritize indigenous harvesting in certain regions in Manitoba. And that would mean, that would mean like pulling back on both the draw and general tags. Was that accurate? Yeah. Like it's, 
yeah, somewhat accurate. I mean, I've, I've read through it. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on it or if you had any time to actually kind of think about it or anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it's challenging, right? Because um, I can't remember where I got this from, but if you look at the kind of, apparently there's a priority ranking of, of conservation rankings when it comes to allocation of tags in Manitoba and the kind of the indigenous harvesters would have a priority over general tags and then general resident and then outside of that the non-residents would have kind of like third priority there so if they were to scale back that's the way things would go so it sounds like some folks in that community are, are a little worried about the, the status of the moose and in certain areas i don't like as a conservation practice i can't say i can weigh in on it but like as far as the conversation around it, it i i feel like it's challenging like the the there's they've been at the shared management table in manitoba here for for how long and uh there's been some successes like the the duck mountain closure where the moose population does seem to be bouncing back a bit but there's there's been a lot of like stagnation in some ways too so i i don't know what the answer is for the moose population in manitoba i keep going back to that that first podcast that we did with vince Crichton and and just kind of playing that back in my head and and Vince being a guy who spent his life in the woods kind of pursuing and and uh being alongside moose he he didn't have any solid answers for us either he had some insight but um yeah it, it's a it's a big big issue and I think maybe one that kind of is emblematic if I can use that word of where conservation is at right now in some ways with trying to grapple with really complex problems yeah um basically like if anybody hasn't seen this letter or whatever it is I talk, kind of, did i talk too long no 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 it's it's all good thoughts and um respectable thoughts too like the the but basically the letter is like for me to dumb it down for anybody is like basically like the mko is manitoba what is it kiwatnik i can't even say what what the word i can't even pronounce it but it's like the chief's general assembly and um what they're doing is basically they want to get like the sole right um of the moose harvest so basically they'd be the only like they'd be like the sole group to be able to hunt moose in manitoba and then they would be able to say when um licensed hunters could hunt moose you know once they've deemed the population maybe better i guess um which i think is absolute nonsense i mean i i think that they absolutely have a right to to voice their opinion and you know have a have it let's say a piece of the pie in, in any type of decision but to have the sole right to make that decision for everybody that lives in the province or that hunts in the province or the licenses in the province for the last 40 years i think isn't right and um you know it's 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 programs like ours um social media and stuff like that that, that get to spread the word even if you don't like our opinions or, or you do like our opinions that's not our purpose the purpose is just to provide you know the information that comes to us so that we can either agree with them or disagree with them and hopefully come up with an outcome where everyone is happy um but yeah if if anybody's looking for the literature on that i mean dm us i'll be more than happy to send you what i have um but you can i'm pretty sure you can look it up uh i don't know where you'd find it to be honest but um i know like manitoba outfitters association or lodges and outfitters association um that's a wildlife federation there's a bunch of different groups that are probably involved and can get you information too so um if you're a moose hunter even if you're not a moose hunter you like to take pictures of them you like to see them in the national parks you like to see them when you're driving down the road with your kids you got to be a part of it 
Um, it's just not, it's not hunters that need to be a part of it. It's everyone. So get involved, get involved people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that might include reaching out to MKO as well to see what their take is. Um, yeah, from, from, yeah, from what I understand, they might be basing some of their opinion on kind of the, the treaties that were established at, um, almost like a pre-constitutional level, um, so before the prior to the constitution of Canada, which outlined some of the, the resource allocation rights in Canada. Um, so I know like when we chat with Paul, for example, like I used the term earlier, like a, a complex issue, like quite intentionally in the, in the sense that like, I don't think that like we'll make meaningful um, steps on this forefront, unless we take things like in reconciliation in Manitoba, um, very seriously because there are other elements that play into this this it's not just a conservation conversation it's about um, who has autonomy over the land and who who has a decision over resource management the the economic state of those communities all these different things kind of factor into how these decisions get made so again that's just my two cents but um and I'm more than welcome folks to, to chat about it, but I, I do believe that it's a, it's a very complicated issue and that folks, like you said, Sheldon should be looking into it to, to get more information as, as much as we can. Yeah, absolutely. And like, and that's the other thing too, is like, I don't necessarily agree with, with the proposal in that letter, but I also, my flip side of it is like, I do agree on some of the things too. Like, like I understand that they, they, like the moose was part of ceremonial, um, I don't know if they're called like they're not, I know they're not called practices, but ceremonial procedures. And I know that there's like certain um, uses for the moose that is, you know, more than just going to shoot one to eat it. Like that there's more to it. Right. And as a hunter um, you don't want to see it ever go away, but at the same time, it's just like, we got to put everybody, put all the irons in the fire and we got to come up with an idea. So, so, so we can make, make it right or make it, make everyone happy. It's just, it just seems like we're battling the same group groups are battling each other for the, they want the same outcome but they just don't know how to do it properly right or something mm-hmm. i don't know yeah i was hoping it's a that slippery slope yeah that there'd be a lot more traction at the shared management table i'm not sure what happened there but it's unfortunate to kind of see it kind of go this route in some ways yeah so um and then on the flip side there's some new fishing rags i haven't even read them have you seen is there new i i haven't seen the this there's a spring guide is that for hunting but the the fishing rags i've looked at for like the the updated regulations for 2023 which allows you to fish certain species um year round now which is exciting in in some ways and then there's certain lakes that are completely off limit like for for example right now you can't fish the red river at all but if you wanted to go to some other lakes, you could still target things like perch and uh, perch and pike. Don't quote me on that. I'd encourage you to go look at the regs, but that's what I remember reading. Right? <laughs> if anyone knows anything about our podcast after listening to it, make sure you go read the regs. Yeah. Because yeah. we, uh, we're not a hundred percent on all our information. The one thing that I don't like about it as some of these new fishing rules or whatever is the four walleye limit, because I know this, this is going to be like kind of a, weird argument but like a lot of people i think uh go up north let's say on a walleye trip and it's nice to bring home a limit of six walleye let's say on majority of your walleye lakes i mean there's some i think paint lake and in thompson has always been four but like i mean if you go on the grass river or some of these other lakes you can bring home six good walleye fillets i mean and i'm not saying it makes the trip worth it i mean there's there's other ways to do it but you know for the price of fuel and everything else like i wonder if 
that would deter any any fishing trips you know it's like oh you can't even bring home that many walleye like what's the point but i don't know maybe it's just me overthinking it but i think it's kind of brutal drive eight hours to go walleye fishing you only bring home four four uh fish but yeah no i kind of get you too sheldon like and like i i don't know what the solution here is because obviously they're trying to manage the the walleye species in a certain way that that retains quality fish um but yeah i don't fish as much as i used to and it'd be nice to come off if i've some days i don't catch anything and then some days we hit the bite so it'd be nice to come off the lake with a little extra fish once in a while so i'm definitely feeling the the pinch here yeah well and the other thing too is like i don't want to bitch about conservation of the government too much and i find that i do quite a bit on this podcast when we do talk about it but it's like why are we still blanketing the province under the same rule it goes like in my mind it goes with fish it goes with like our our big game draws it goes with everything like how can we not just figure it out to cut it up into sections you know and have like the areas or lakes with a four limit and have other lakes with your your normal six or your grass like the grass river is one of the best walleye fisheries in manitoba in my opinion you can go in there and you can hammer them and catch and release them all day do you really need to only take four out of there like it's just yeah. like this this blanket approach to to con- to have conservation just doesn't work it just doesn't yeah i wonder if it's uh kind of trying to strike this balance too because i sometimes i pick up the ontario regs and ontario is just absolutely massive so they they don't have that blanket approach but trying to figure out what as a someone who's not an Ontario resident, like trying to figure out what bay I can fish in Lake of the Woods for lake trout is like extremely confusing because mm-hmm. there's like certain bays that are closed throughout the season for, for trout fishing and things like this. And I'll tell you flat out, like definitely do not cite me on any Ontario legislation because <laughs> I'm referring to that book frequently to try and figure out where I can and cannot fish. Yeah, I don't know if they're just trying to strike a balance between what's practical and what's going to make a difference in conservation, but it it might be good to have someone on to chat about some of the proposed changes or the actual changes here, right? Yeah, I think that's definitely something that we need to do, um, but I don't think we need to carry any much longer on this intro about that. Maybe we can save that for another podcast and go through some of the, like you said, some of these changes. Turkey season is right upon us when this podcast drops. I'm kind of hoping it's right before the opener. But I know for a fact that the junior or not junior, but the youth opener is coming up and uh, this will probably drop right after it. I think it opens up this weekend. So anybody out there that's going turkey hunting, be safe out in those woods. And I think you'll really enjoy this podcast episode because we talk with uh, Melissa Lindsay. April's on as well. So and they've done a lot of uh, work together with the turkeys. And there's a reason why they call her turkey girl because she's uh, in the woods with turkeys quite a bit. Pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. And yeah. Thanks for Melissa for hopping on and obviously April for co-hosting and maybe we should be taking odds, biggest odds here on whether Chase Wing shoots one this year again or what the, what the plan is. But yeah, we, we had a, he phoned me today and t- telling me about his plans and kind of fallen through for the turkey thing. And now he's, uh, he said, I think I'm just going to pick up iHunter and I'm going to go for a drive and see if I can find some and use iHunter to locate the landowners and so good luck to him, man. Good luck. Yeah, I think the wing shooting odds just went up a little higher. Than <laughs> yeah. was listening. All right, we'll tune, tune in to Melissa. That's uh, 147. Well, today I'm super excited to have Melissa on. Melissa's been on the podcast before in a little bit of, a, how would I say it, April? Like a little bit more non-professional informal. type informal. That's the word. <laughs> I need a dictionary. 
But yeah, we have Melissa on. You might know her on the old interweb as uh what is it, turkeygirl.mb on Instagram and on do you have a Facebook account, Melissa? I do, yeah. Is it the same thing? It's just my name, oh. Melissa Lindsay. Okay, perfect. So welcome yeah, to the show, Melissa. Easy. Thank you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Um, and then of <laughs> course we have April on the other line that's gonna be co-hosting with me as well. Hello. And we're gonna just rock this thing out. And the first thing we're gonna do is the five burning questions. Have you listened to any of our podcasts, Melissa? I have, yes. So you might know some of the five burning questions. So I'm gonna do the first one, and then April's gonna fill it in to the middle, and then I'm gonna do the last one. Um, so my first question for you is that if you had one last meal with a drink, what would you have, and what would you drink with it? Um, for my meal, it's funny though when you ask people these questions. I was like, if I'm ever on a podcast. I have no idea what I would answer. I never had like this special meal, but I tried a recipe from Frank or Hank Shaw and oh, yeah. it's the turkey leg carnitas, yes. wild turkey legs, which is fitting for a turkey podcast. But I tried that recipe and I've just tweaked a few little things to my liking since I first tried it, but it's my absolute favorite meal now. And when I hunt with other people and they don't want their turkey legs, I just snatch them all. Did you listen to that podcast episode with, with uh, Hank Shaw? I did. Um, That was a while ago now. So I can't really remember what you guys talked about exactly, but, but yeah, he has some awesome recipes. Mm -hmm. That's probably my favorite recipe that Melissa makes. Like even just saying turkey leg carnitas i'm like yes and she's gonna make it soon i know now that we're talking about it she's gonna make it and i'm gonna be ready for it well we have to shoot a turkey first but i could find some legs in my freezer do you have some i have legs from something down there either a turkey or maybe i think i have some pheasant legs and i think i might have some goose or duck legs yeah i mean the good thing about it is you can make it with anything really like we've made it with pork and stuff before too like that's the main way you make it i think but yeah, any legs would be awesome. Oh, interesting. What would um, you have uh, for a drink? <laughs> probably just water. If I'm eating, I don't drink alcohol. This is um, your last I'm meal, so... Melissa. This is your last meal. You're going to drink water? April. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Can I choose a drink for after I eat my meal? Like yeah, my dessert? Course. Sure. Um, oh, my gosh. I should have thought about this before we talked. Um I don't know. I'd probably have a second glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) Glass of water. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not very exciting when it comes to drinks. Ask April. I don't, I drink red. Oh, you know what? I'd probably have a Red Bull just to perk me up before I hit the bucket. What's that drink that you and Shauna like to to have with, and the, at the bars, they do it with the Red Bull, the Red Bull and Jagmeister. Jagmeister. Oh, Jagger bombs. Yeah, no, bombs. we quit those. I quit, quit those. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I used to love those. Um, maybe five or 10 years ago, that would be my choice. But yeah, I'm boring when it comes to drinks. I drink water and I drink Red Bull and I sometimes drink a few drinks with April. But yeah. Bad influence. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I think April, you're Better- up for the second question there. Okay. Um, so since we're talking about turkey hunting, my question for you is what would be your bucket list turkey hunt? Oh, do you not know the answer to this? Well, but the, the public doesn't know. No, I know. <laughs> um, all related turkeys in Mexico, the ones that kind of 
people say they look like peacocks. Yeah. They are, I mean, I don't know. I, I want to do all of it, but that would be my bucket list. There's not a lot of places you can go do it. You have to go to Mexico. Um, and Rochelle from DSG just got back from a hunt down there and she mm-hmm. got amazing photos. Like they were so beautiful. And I think it would just be such a neat experience. I agree. Okay. Did you know that? Though? Uh, did I know that? That that was my bucket list. I'm pretty sure I did. Yeah. 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 And if it wasn't, I was either gonna say those guys or like a turkey slam. Oh yeah. I mean that's that's kind of multiple trips in a way, but yeah. That's true. Grand slam um, world. Slam. My next question for you is, uh, if you could go to any concert, past, present, um, or like future, I guess, of artists, who would it be? The Eagles, I think. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. Um, I think that's maybe unexpected for some people. I am not like a really big music person and I, I mainly listen to country music, but for a while I was really into classic rock and uh, yeah, I've always loved the Eagles. That's definitely unexpected answer for me, but I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I didn't stumble over that one either. I actually no. knew my answer. um my next one for you is uh sticking with our hunting theme what has been your favorite hunting or fishing experience in your life and why that do people know that offhand like I feel like that's such a tough question there's lots of good ones I mean I probably my my first year turkey hunting there's so many other probably more exciting ones and but that one I don't know it was just my first year going out I had no idea what I was doing learned a lot boots on the ground public land turkey hunt and I think it was like the third last day of the season and for it to all come together and actually get a bird like I think that would just be that's what hooked me on hunting and turkey hunting so Mm. it has to be that (laughs) That's a good one. I think that that question is, um, it's a hard one in a way because you, there's like you said, there's so many that you can think of, but in my mind, there's always one that always like pops to your mind, which you yeah. obviously just happened. So um, my question, my last question, are you done April? I am. Oh, perfect. Look at this timing. <laughs> um, my last question. Uh, it's a new one. I've been asking people and I've kind of been enjoying it. So I'm going to ask you as well, Melissa, is that uh, if you had, like I call it fuck you money where you, just all of a sudden you got like a bunch of money in your hand, but you had to buy it on like uh, outdoors toy or something like a side by side or boat or whatever. Maybe one guy even answered a helicopter once. Um, oh, what, wow. would, what would your toy be? A toy right now. I think just because our boat doesn't run great, like the motor, we have so many problems with that. I would love a nice new boat. Like every time we go somewhere, it's, there's trailer problems, there's motor problems, there's this problem, there's that problem. It's like always so much work, I feel like, or there's always some disaster we're dealing with. And I'd love to just have something nice and new and something that works and we can just go fishing and Mm -hmm. not have problems. That's a great answer. I just can't picture me ever having a helicopter. So (laughs) even though it's fuck you money, I guess I'm still sort of practical. Like I have a giant list. Like you could probably ask me like 10 different things. Like I have a big list of things that I went and bought a lottery ticket the other day because someone said their snow bear was for sale. And I'm like, well, why are you telling me that? I could never afford a snow bear. So I went and bought a lottery ticket. Maybe you're the winner. 
I didn't still win. looking for that winner in Winnipeg. Yeah, the winners. Um, was it Manitoba or Western Canada? No, it's Winnipeg. I didn't win. Oh yeah. Oh well, Winnipeg. Well, I bought it in Winnipeg. Out. Did you well, there, really? There you I go. did, but I didn't win. Well, you never know. I'll have to check the numbers again. Well, you do know once you check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually funny because my my boss and I were talking about fishing uh, fishing trip. He just booked one and. We're kind of chit-chatting about like he's doing like a backcountry thing on this island in, in Ontario, um, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, we're kind of like talking about how there's like two different styles of fishing trips. It's the one where there's like the ones where you are going to a destination and you're worried about your trailer and your boat. And then not only that, you get out in the water and you're worried about your where you parked your truck. If you're going to, you know what I mean? Like there's all these worries mm-hmm. or there's the other fishing trip where you like get to that back country and it's like once you get back there you don't worry about those little things anymore you worry about like making Getting sure eaten. you're gonna be safe and warm <laughs> yeah, and dry you know <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of crazy um so anyways i'm to get into the the main part of the podcast some people might be wondering why melissa's on the podcast if you don't know who she is and that's what we're here to kind of dig into is that melissa has been um hunting and fishing in Manitoba for quite a while and i'm gonna let you tell the story but i'm just gonna just say that we want to get you on to talk a little bit about turkeys. Um, I mean, your your name says it all on Instagram as Turkey Girl, but do you want to maybe just give us a little background on yourself on like how hunt, hunting and fishing, and you kind of already just touched on it, but how uh, hunting and fishing started for you or the outdoors world in Manitoba, um, how it all started for you, and then maybe we'll get into some of the turkey talk. Sure. I grew up in Nova Scotia and I lived there most of my life. My husband, who we weren't married at the time, my boyfriend was in the military and he got posted to Shiloh and that was not the plan. We were going to move to New Brunswick, which is close to home. And that was what that, yeah, it was easy. And then he got posted out here and I had to move to Manitoba and I thought it was like the worst thing ever. I didn't know anything about Manitoba. I didn't grow up hunting and fishing like I grew up in the country and had family that hunted and fished, but it's just not something I did a lot of, but Jared did. So when we moved out here together, he was hunting and fishing all the time. And I would just tag along with the guys. And I, I was happy to do that. I love doing anything outdoors, but I didn't really take it too seriously. And then one day, I think I decided I wanted to hunt because we just wanted more meat in the freezer. So I got a deer tag and just, I was literally just doing it to get more meat because I loved deer meat. And then I was going out with him and I just loved it. So I thought, what am I going to do now until deer season? He only rifle hunted. So we had to wait a whole year to hunt again. And I thought, I'm just going to try turkey hunting. Like, why not? That's something different. We didn't have turkeys in Nova Scotia and I would see them all over Manitoba because we live in Glenborough and I work in Wawanisa. We have a lot of turkeys around here. So I thought that would be something to pass the time until deer season came along again. And I didn't know anyone else that turkey hunted out here. We didn't have any friends or anyone that did it. Now it seems like a lot of people do it, but yeah, I just decided to go out. Jared actually was um, in Afghanistan. So he was home, I think the first weekend it opened and we went out together. And then I just had to go out by myself after that and figure it out on my own, basically. So me getting mm-hmm. the turkey that first year, I think if I didn't, I, I don't know if I would have just 
gotten discouraged or, or how that would have went, but I was immediately hooked after that season. Yeah. I have a quick question about how, like just being, you know, oops, just hit my mic. Everyone's going to hear that (laughs) quick question though. But like when you get into hunting, like, did you find it as a hard process or easy process when it comes to like some of the courses you got to take in Manitoba or anything like that? Or were you familiar with it because of stuff uh, on the East coast? I wasn't familiar with the process. I'm pretty meticulous with conservation and following the rules. So I figured out that I needed to take my hunter safety course and then I could go with Jared and I didn't have to have the pal, but then I took the pal as well. So I could go by myself. As far as that goes, I found that really easy. I didn't really have anyone to mentor me though. Jared, like I said, wasn't around all the time. And I didn't find there to be a lot of resources, like especially for Turkey. Um, a lot of this, and, and back then too, I didn't have internet on my cell phone. Like now when we go out, my friend Janessa and I, she shot a deer and we had to field dress it together. We couldn't, I didn't, ha- I've never done that before. We just YouTubed it in the woods and did it. Um, that was something I could do when I started turkey hunting. So I would read magazine articles and they would be from people in the Southern States. Um, I would watch some YouTube videos and Google stuff, but I didn't have anyone mentoring me here. I didn't have people that I could ask questions to. I didn't know a lot of other women in the outdoor world that hunted and fished at the time. So that was the part that I think I struggled with the most. It's, it's good because I'm stubborn and just, I just went out and did it and didn't really care if I made mistakes or didn't really know what I was doing. I was fine to just, I felt safe in the woods. Um, I wasn't nervous to be out in the woods or anything like that. So I'm like, I'll go, we'll see what happens. And I learned a lot from doing that. So I'm glad that I just kept with it and just kept going out because now I feel like I can do anything. I might not be good at it, but I feel like I can try. Mm-hmm. That's, that's super interesting because I often think about the way to get more people outside. And I, th- and I think like when we started Panoramic, that was one of the key, one of our keys to our like, so let's say business plan is like, we wanted to focus on getting people outside and like, how do you do that? And obviously the podcast was one way for like new hunters or outdoors people to listen in and find like tips and tricks to get outside. And it's, and it's kind of cool how you said that you did a lot of stuff on your own, because I find that for me, I had kind of like a mentor, like my dad, let's say, or my uncles and stuff like that would take me out. My cousins would take me out, but it's just like, now that I think back for that, I almost wonder like how often would I get outside if I didn't have those mentors? Mm -hmm. So like, like good on you. And not, not only that, it's just like, you almost like to get outside, you almost need a good, a good um, mix of that. Because if you, if you rely solely on those mentors and they can't take you out for, you know, one or two weekends in a row, well then all of a sudden you're not getting outside unless you have the drive to do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting to think about it that way, but that's good I on think you. For me, like I grew up in the country, some people that we meet at becoming an outdoors woman, they're, they live in the city and they don't have at least some of that background that I had at least like I had really no hunting and fishing experience but I've seen it like I've been around people that have done it mm-hmm. whether I paid a lot of attention to it or not and when we were kids we would wake up in the morning and mom would kick us outside and say don't come back till it's dark so we just lived in the woods so for me to go out and do it like I wasn't I wasn't scared, like the whole weapon stuff. Like I'd never really shot guns or bows or anything before. So that's what I had to get used to. And then, yeah, 
but but now I feel like there's so many more resources. There's so many, there's there's such a great outdoor community in Manitoba. And we've met a lot of people through volunteering and social media. And it's, I try to remember what it was like back in the day when I started. It's, it's totally, it's a totally different world now, I feel like. I, f- I feel like a little bit like social media, obviously, that's kind of kind of where you and I met and sort of, you know, a, an acquaintance and kind of social media. But <laughs> I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, it's so weird how you know how they say that social media is like your highlight reel and that all of your mm-hmm. you know best things go on social media. And I'm sitting there before like before our podcast and. I'm thinking, you know, if you were to look at Melissa's social media and you were, if you didn't read any of the captions, because you're pretty like open in your social media, good, bad, and the ugly, like you're pretty open about that. So if you were to just look at photos and not look at your social media, you would think that like you, you know, you go out and you tag out right away and you are like, just in turkeys all the time with absolutely no problems and absolutely no hiccups. And it's really not like that, is it? I was thinking about it today and I was like, I wonder what we're going to talk about tonight. But I am really not that good of a turkey hunter when you think about it. Jared will come home after working away for two months and sleep in until 10 o'clock in the morning, roll out of bed, put some mismatched camo on, and go in the woods and send me a text message two hours later with a photo of a giant tom laying on the ground. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I have been (laughs) scouting for a month. I get up early every morning and I go scouting and I make sure I have multiple properties lined up. And then he just goes to this random spot and just shoots a bird. And he just thinks this is the most funny thing ever. And I'm working (laughs) and scouting and out there every day. And I've been lucky a few years where I've tagged out on opening morning. Um, I had a good spot there a few years in a row and it just worked like clockwork. But then the last few years, like last year, I didn't get a turkey. And then the two years before that, I think it was like the last day or the second last day. So yeah, I'm definitely honest about it. And I'm just, I'm really passionate about it. And Sometimes I'm a little fussy with what I'm going to shoot or you, you take other people out and you want to make sure they get a bird. So, so yeah, I don't know. There's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that you definitely don't see on social media, Yeah, but I do try to be very transparent about all of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, um, and I think, I don't know, this is me, my personal opinion, I guess, about what's happening in Manitoba with turkey hunting. But I think it's grown quite a bit. And I mean, social. what's that? I just said, yeah, it has. Oh, sorry. I thought maybe I cut out and you guys were like. um, No, April and I were agreeing with you. We're like, yes, yes, yes. Okay. But yeah, it's it's grown so much in popularity. And it has, I think it has a lot to do with, you know, people like yourself um, and other other groups in Manitoba that, that do the turkey hunting thing. And only that, like, I mean, even in our own little group with chase and tristan and josh and whoever else like we've always kind of chatted about spring hunting um none of us are really into the bear hunting like a little bit here and there but um to get out and do something in the spring other than bear hunting or shed hunting i mean turkey hunting is the next best thing and and only that but manitoba has put in a lot of effort to uh regain or regrow that that turkey population right so mm-hmm, for um, sure yeah, it's it's definitely a growing thing. The uh, the community, like I don't know, 
I know a lot of people say Manitoba has a great outdoor community, but you know, some days I'm just like, no, no, we don't. Because just like, there's so many people that are just like, you know, getting mad at you for posting this or posting that. It's like, really like, yep. well, that's just the way it is. Like, that's what happened, you know? But anyways, that's another sidebar that we can talk about another time. We want to talk about turkeys. Melissa, I don't know if you know, Shelly, but Melissa has like a lot to do with the, with the turkey population and like reintroduction and, and I don't know what the word would be like introducing them into other areas. Did you know that? In a way I, I had, <laughs> I think we talked about it maybe like around ice fishing or something maybe before, but, um, but yeah, I wouldn't say a lot. I know why we're having it on April. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with turkeys and when I got into hunting I just wanted to you know this is short season I wanted to do lots of turkey things and I met up with a guy that I don't even know how it started but um, they trap nuisance turkeys it's done through conservation and Manitoba Wildlife Federation and they relocate them to other areas in the province and I bugged and bugged and bugged and bugged the guy until he would let me come with him and do it. Um, and now I help with that a little bit in the winter. Nice. So it's like hunting turkeys without killing them. So what is that? Pro- so <laughs> you're doing, you're doing nuisance turkeys. So clearly like some acreage owner or farmer or something, maybe even the city might call this guy up and you guys trap them then. Yeah, like conservation will get a call and it'll be maybe someone in Brandon or like Cirrus has had them trapped before. Um, they probably do it in Winnipeg too or other small towns. Um, if the turkeys come into town and they're, there's a bunch of them and they're in people's backyards and they're eating their bird seed and they're pooping on everything and making a mess and sometimes they're not really too destructive, but people don't really want them around. Or the other side of it would be like in the winter, turkeys will all flock up in a really big group and they'll mainly hang out in farmyards because that's an easy food source for them in the winter. And I talked to two farmers actually last week that said, can you come and get these turkeys? We have 300 at our place. And this is two different places, had 300 each, which that would probably be a pretty big nuisance. So we, I've mainly done that kind of trapping and you don't get all the turkeys, but I think in one trapping session where you're going to go maybe multiple times, we'll get maybe 60, 70 birds um, out of that farmyard. Oh, wow. So that helps. And then sometimes after you've done that a few times, they kind of bugger off for a while and and this time of year now with it being like and we do it in the winter because they're all together feeding in this area and then once the snow starts melting like now it's supposed to be spring even though it's not here in manitoba right now but generally they'll start dispersing this time of year um and they're just they have other things to eat they're not worried about going into that trap and feeding so they're a little harder to trap so like in the middle of the winter mainly is is when we'll do it i actually didn't trap any turkeys this winter i didn't get any calls from anybody and i was pretty busy anyway so hopefully next year maybe i can do some more i got two questions for you just from that little statement but the grouping of turkeys in the winter why do they do you know why they do that like is it like must be some sort of self-defense 
attribute well, that they do or it's easier to pick up I mean, feed from a farmyard than it is to go scratch it out in the bush yeah like this winter there's so much snow. yeah but, really hard for them to find food i'm not saying i'm not saying that going to a farmyard would be easier or harder i'm what i'm saying is why do they get in a group like a big group like are they <laughs> they, they, they they all just like meeting where that food source is or do they actually earn a big group throughout winter is what i'm like kind of getting at i would say both like they're all like even in the spring and different times of year they're in their different groups depending on what time of year it is so in the winter yeah i guess i don't exactly know the answer to that question but they're social birds as well um and i feel like yeah like what you're saying it could be a little bit of a defense thing it could be um yeah like a safety thing a little more warmth um if they're all together Mm -hmm. in the kind of the same area but yeah. I mean, I think, I think mainly food, like they, any time of the year, they can go find food anywhere else, basically, but they're, I think mainly all there for the free food. Yeah. <laughs> the buffet. The they remind, they remind me of uh, dinosaurs, man. They're, they're so weird looking birds. But my second question about this trapping thing is that, so you're going to like these farmyards where there's big groups of turkeys where clearly there's a food source that they're enjoying. So how do you trap them? Like, I would assume you would use a lure like food. You give like, them better there... food. Okay, so let's go through that. Like, what is, <laughs> what's a better food? What's the food well, of choice for a turkey? Um, Generally, we'll get whatever, like, there's not a lot of budget for buying food for this kind of stuff. I mean, I guess there kind of is. Like, they get funding and stuff as well. They apply for grants um, for trapping supplies and for paying volunteers um for their gas and stuff even though i never apply for it because i just like doing it but um they'll source out like kind of like reasonably priced stuff but we've always just used sunflower seeds and they seem to love that like i think that's their choice yeah um no they're not flavored ones but (laughs) but yeah we could try that if we could get our hands on some cheap dill pickle sunflower seeds yeah and then like what are your traps like what does it look like i just outline picture is like one of those bear traps with a bunch of sunflower seeds leading oh my into gosh it. <laughs> oh yeah it's interesting people don't know what to expect two winters ago i had a guy from wawanisa and i, I work in wawanisa he said he's got 20 30 turkeys in his backyard every day and he doesn't like them there they're making a mess so i said do you want me to set up a trap and he said yeah so we took a trap down And I think he immediately regretted this because the trap basically took up his whole backyard. It was, I mean, they have different ones, but the one that I've used mainly, it's pretty long and it's got two trap doors on each end and it's netted. So it's like, um, like a netting that you would have from like a fishing net or something because it's soft and it's not, the turkeys will try to get out. So they'll smash into it. And if it was wire, it would be hurting them. So it's like netted all around. There's two trap doors on either end and we literally just prop them up with a stick and then we tie a rope to both of the sticks connected together, have a really long rope. If you have baler twine, make sure you're keeping an eye on the The condition, how well it's holding up because we've had some rotten baler twine snap when we were trying to do it before April and I actually did it together and we didn't get any turkeys that day because the doors didn't come down. But when you pull it, when you, and you have to, it's such a weird situation. It's kind of like you're hunting them in a way. You have to manually pull that rope there. We don't have any robotic remote automatic things 
we have nothing fancy. So we literally will run a long rope all the way to wherever our vehicle is and sit inside the vehicle, which you're doing that because it's your, there's no need to sit outside. The turkeys are just used to vehicles being in the farmyards and stuff like that. So you sit in your vehicle and then you have to use your best judgment on when you should pull that rope because the turkeys come in and out, in and out, in and out. And there could be three turkeys in there. Well, you don't want to pull the rope quite yet because there's another 60 turkeys out there that may come in. But then once there gets to be too many turkeys in there, some will start coming out or they'll get scared by something or they're just done for whatever reason. So you have to, it's very stressful. You have to pull it at the right time and uh, you pull that rope and then the doors come down and then there's little locks at the bottom and the doors lock closed. And then you should have a whole bunch of turkeys inside. And then you have to go in the side door that opens up and you crawl in and grab them with a net and put them in boxes. So you have to handle the turkeys to get them out of there. It sounds like Wiley Coyote versus the Roadrunner type <laughs> trapping. Like, does it say Acme or whatever on the side of your neck? <laughs> should put no. a sign like that on there, Melissa. <laughs> yeah. Maybe come up with a name for me. Put it on the vehicle. Um, yeah, so it's not, quite the interesting thing. So once you have all these turkeys or somebody phones you and like, hey, man, I need, I need some traps set up. Then do you do you guys try to find like somebody to take the turkeys that you've trapped now? Yes. Um, I'm I'm kind of just a worker bee in this whole process. Um, Manitoba Wildlife Federation and Conservation has it's sort of like a program. If you're a Manitoba Wildlife Federation affiliated club, you can put in an application to get wild turkeys in your area and it has to be approved by conservation. So they would do like an assessment of the area to make sure that it's a good viable spot for the turkeys to survive there and do well. So there'd have to be like a good food source. Um, I think that they want to make sure that there is some kind of farmyard around a certain vicinity so that they will have somewhere to go find food in the winter if it's a really rough winter and then they canvas um, people in, I don't know what the radius is, but they'll check with people in that area to make sure that they're on board with this as well, because we're not going to go chop these turkeys and spend all of our time doing this and taking them to a new area just to have someone get angry about it and then shoot them all because that could very well happen or someone to get really excited about it and want to fill their freezer and shoot them all. So there's a bit of a process and a procedure to it. Um, And then usually what they do, if it's like a new area, um, I'm just trying to think Bertle was one of the newest areas Bertle and Plumas got turkeys and you release them at least 20 birds um, for three years in a row. Um, So it it really just depends on how many you're trapping and how many are available, but they just want to make sure that they're still bringing turkeys to help establish that flock, I guess, because each year some turkeys could die or move on and they want to be able to reproduce um, and help grow that population. Yeah. So um, April's been to a few of those releases and stuff as well, too. Do you guys play any cool music in your car when you release them? No, but no we I play don't cool we movies any. when we're ca- trapping them. <laughs> yeah, we played, we've watched movies on our phones before. And eat nachos. Nachos? Oh, and nice. Chips and dip. Yeah, chips yeah. and salsa. And oh, so that's turkey trapping food now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you drink? Water? <clears throat> water. Yeah, water. Or like Pepsi at what? seven o'clock in the morning i don't do that 
<laughs> I do that. <laughs> um, so talking about like turkey ranges and stuff, and you kind of mentioned that you, you know, will take 20 for a certain amount of years in a row to establish a population in a certain area. What type of um, area does, do turkeys kind of generally like use? Like, do you know, like, I don't need to know specific like miles or points of miles, but like would a group of turkeys be able to like wander and meander through, you know, 10 square miles or would that area be even 10 times as big? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I might not be the best person to talk to about this. I'm not really sure on like statistics and numbers and stuff, but they do have, I read somewhere once, I can't remember the numbers offhand, but they, they can have a pretty big radius. Like they may, some may travel that far, like 10 square miles. I don't think that that's the norm. And then as far as like habitat and stuff that they like, I've seen them in lots of different habitat here in Manitoba. Like I'm in Mm -hmm. Southwest Manitoba, which I think is probably one of the bigger Turkey populations in Manitoba. But like we have them, we have them in spruce woods. We have them in a lot of farmland here. They, I've seen them up almost like towards Riding Mountain. There's like McCreary Mm -hmm. has turkeys as well. Like there's turkeys towards the park up there. And yeah, it's definitely the reason that they're being established all over Manitoba is because of this program. Um, They're anywhere from south to east. Um, below the trans Canada, primarily more so. And then now we're getting to see more of them up North because of this trap and transfer of turkeys. But as far as like the stats and numbers and stuff go about their ranges and stuff, I'm not, I'm not hundred percent sure on that. That's cool. Um, And then another thing about turkeys I want to ask you is like, sometimes I get, I'm not a huge turkey hunter. Um, and I, I, I know the lingo, but sometimes I'm like thinking like, do other people understand the lingo? So do you want to go through that quick? Like, I know there's like, what is there? Uh, Tom and Jake and hens, like what else is there? And what um, are they? And let everyone so know. So to start with like poults would be the people call them chicks sometimes. So the little ones. So there's poults and I think it's a poult for like at least maybe a year. Um, and then the hens are the females. A Jake is a young male, so he will have a little bit of a beard sticking out of the front of his chest, and you'll just see a little nub, and they will have some little spurs possibly, um, which might also be like a little nub on their legs, and a Tom would be the mature male, and he would have a long beard, hopefully, but it would start to like curl over, and longer spurs, and the toms and jakes are darker generally their their feathers like their main body would be like a darker like almost black and the hens are usually more of a brown color and the toms would be like they'd have like a bigger more red head when they're Mm. excited and what about the um fan feathers oh yeah that's right the so their tail fan when it's all spread out when they're strutting the jakes will have a few feathers in the middle that stick up higher than the other feathers so if they're strutting you could tell because he'll have a few higher feathers in his tail fan and a tom would have like a full rounded tail fan and i think they have 18 feathers in their fan like primary feathers if i remember that correctly what other lingo do you know (laughs) lingo people call them people call them long beards or gobblers yeah thunder, um, thunder chickens thunder, thunder chickens, chickens thunder <laughs> chickens 
if you shoot one, people say I gave him a dirt nap. I'm not really, I don't really use any of that lingo. <laughs> no, it's, it's, <laughs> it's I think it's just funny. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's lots of lingo, but we're weird because we mainly bow hunt turkeys. Like April has probably never shot a turkey with a shotgun. My first two turkeys I shot with a shotgun and then I had just gotten a bow for deer hunting. So I decided I wanted to try archery hunting uh, turkeys. So then once you shoot one with your bow, it's kind of hard to go back to a shotgun. I feel like, yeah. I mean, and I probably will someday, honestly, but I don't know. I just feel like I'm cheating and that's nothing against anyone else who shotgun hunts. That's how all the great turkey hunters do it that I have a lot of respect for, right. but we just, we just like bow hunting. And it like majorly changes changes the setup and kind of like changes the game when you're when you're bow hunting things just get like a little bit no nah, I don't want to say harder just more more challenges more to organize more preparation I don't know would you yeah, say that yeah it is and it isn't like for me I do find it more difficult and that's why I think I maybe won't end up always bow hunting turkeys because we used to just be I'm like obsessed with turkey hunting but also the older I get the more I realize I'm neglecting all other responsibilities in my life. And I don't really have the time to go out every single day. Like I used to make the time for. So, I mean, I don't know how long I'm going to do that for, but I do find it harder for myself personally. I like when we're shotgun hunting, we're not dragging ground blinds around usually mm -hmm. like you're just sitting up against a tree, but when we're bow hunting or if I'm taking new hunters out, we're doing that. And then you just want to get them in closer. And I don't think I'm the best turkey caller, honestly. So it's sometimes hard to get them into bow range. Like we usually shoot them at 20 yards, but I know other people that bow hunt that think that that's ridiculous and we should be getting them into 10 yards. Why do, why do they know. think that's ridiculous? I, oh, because I don't know. Cause some people think it's, I think more exciting to get them in closer. Okay. Like it's harder to get them in closer, especially if you're bow hunting, because you're moving around more, you're moving to draw back your bow and turkeys have amazing eyesight so I don't want them any closer than 20 yards because mm -hmm. I'm not that subtle. I think that they'll, I think I would have trouble getting them in that close and pulling off a shot. Like that's the thing I said earlier. I don't think I'm that good of a hunter. I just put in a lot of time and, and I'm stubborn and I'll get it done eventually, but well, I'm that, not that, super sneaky. I'm not a great caller. Yeah. But the thing is in a lot of people's books, that is a good hunter that dedicates time and effort into succeeding, you know? there's a yes so in my books you're a good hunter well thank you i appreciate that i just no always want to be very transparent because i uh i don't like i every year i say i'm gonna practice calling and get better like i generally just use a box call i can't use a mouth call i would love to learn how to use a mouth call and i just never take the time to do it so yeah the mouth calls are super tough to get a hold of and like the uh, first time I ever went elk hunting, I, I bet you I drove, well, I, dr I drive a lot for work, but I bet you I drove like 10 to 12 hours with this uh, like elk call in my mouth and finally got it to actually sound something like an elk, which wasn't even really that close. <laughs> so it does take a lot of time and effort to figure that out. Yeah, I don't have the patience for that. I'm very stubborn with some stuff, but I guess I, uh, I'm not with that. Yeah. But there's always something like, I remember Sheldon, you messaged me. I don't know. I was only turkey hunting for me just like two or three years, maybe at the most. Right. And you asked me to do a podcast about turkey hunting. And I said, no, I'm, I couldn't do that. I'm too shy. I just, I, I didn't feel like I knew enough to talk about it. Right. And now I still probably 
don't know if I do, but I, uh, I've been around the block a little bit and feel like, yeah, maybe now's the time. <laughs> I think that's kind of interesting. Like, do, do you really think that you, do you really think that you know so much more information now than you did before? Or is it just like um, the experience and maybe how you've like grown as a person? I've, I've definitely learned more, but I think it's more the experience. Um, because what I have learned really is just from spending time out there. Like I could kill a bird before, but I didn't even call myself a hunter until you and I went April and we got those two birds in the morning and I just felt like we were rock stars. We we double like we didn't we didn't double up together because we went to that first spot and we thought we messed up that hunt so bad and you had a bird on the ground like just as the sun was coming up and then we were so proud of ourselves and laughing about this and then we were just gonna go clean your bird and we seen another bird on the way home next to a wildlife management area and just went over there and sat under a tree in the wide open and called that bird in after how long were we calling like at least an hour or more mm-hmm. i'm like and crawling around out. in the grass and <laughs> yeah we were crawling around in the grass like bow hunting just sitting under an open tree with a few sprigs of grass in front of us and then shot that bird with a bow and I, after that that's when i think i started calling myself a hunter and then some days i the last few years i don't feel like i'm a great hunter but they've uh they've been tough the last few years yeah, I um I've gone tree hunting a handful of times with uh, Chase. Tristan got one a couple of years ago. There, they have a little video on YouTube if you guys are interested. You yeah. can check that out. But yeah, it's it's becoming you know the spring, the spring hunt now for our, for a lot of people is that turkey hunt. And speaking of the spring hunt, and you say you do a lot of scouting and stuff. Then now this might sound like a stupid question, but they're <laughs> all grouped up. They're all grouped up in farmyards right now. What do you? And I mean like do you know kind of areas that you're going to be like gunning for in the springtime or are you kind of waiting till like farmers sell their fields and you know, what's like, or I don't know, like, what are you looking for? So if this had been in the very beginning, I would probably be so stressed right now because I would have been scouting already if we didn't have snow, but I have learned since then, like, even if we didn't have snow and the turkeys are still maybe flocked up at the farmyards a little bit, like where they are now is not where they're going to be on April 22nd. So, but I still always like knowing what they're doing. So I would still go out looking and watching them to see where they are and, and then keep watching to see where they've moved. And I used to just try to find new flocks quite a bit. And I am still going to do that this year. I'd like to try to find some new properties to hunt just to shake things up a little bit, but I have learned that I don't need to start scouting too early. Um, because like I said, they're not going to be where they are right now in this, during the spring hunt. But it's so weird because I, I don't, when I'm scouting, I don't look for any specific type of crop or anything like that. I just drive around and, and just look for turkeys in the field. And if you're driving early in the morning or later in the day and you see turkeys, you know, they're probably going to be roosting somewhere close to that. So that's kind of what I hone in on. Nowadays, I don't even really set foot in the woods if I'm scouting. Um, I don't want to pressure the birds at all. I have definitely found a really big difference if there's other hunting pressure around um, as to how receptive the birds are to calling and coming into your decoys. If there's other people around and there's a lot of pressure in the woods, then I definitely find them quieter. I find them harder, like I said, harder to call into the decoys because I do decoy hunt. So 
I just know that I don't even really need to be in there. I don't need to know exactly what tree they're sleeping in that night. I'll just figure out what area they're in and get permission and just pick a spot to set up based on what looks good, mm-hmm. where they're coming from and, and go from there. Right. Um, and then for like people that don't turkey hunt or maybe don't know a lot about turkeys, like in the springtime is when they're like in rut, right? Like they're looking to <laughs> have rut. some sex. Yes, the well, spring season. Um, uh, mating season. Mating season. <laughs> very, very <Right>. clinical. <laughs> um, yeah, spring is their mating season. And so in the spring in Manitoba, you have to, sh- you're, you can only shoot a bird that has a visible beard. So you can shoot a Jake as long as you can see his beard sticking out a little bit or, you, or a Tom. Um, the loophole to that is, some hens do have beards and you can legally shoot a bearded hen but it's a bit frowned upon to do that I don't think it's a bit it's a lot frowned upon to do that Mm. so I've never shot a bearded hen I think like to each their own as long as it's legal generally is my rule of thumb but I think that I don't know I personally wouldn't and I always try to shoot a a mature tom when I'm hunting in the spring or in the fall if I'm hunting in the fall I still try to do that too but yeah I don't know that's kind of maybe like a hot button topic Mm -hmm. if you're talking to any hardcore turkey hunters just like shooting a bird out of its roost tree is also not illegal as far as I know but frowned upon not ethical not sporting it depends how hungry you are it's true yeah yeah so, uh, depends how many depends how many sunflower seeds you have left in your pocket to lure them into your decoys. Um, so I generally do like I've hunted some wildlife management areas, and uh, I, it's it's definitely harder. Like they're generally more pressured, but I do a lot of like farmland hunting as well. And one bird that I shot in the fall when I cleaned it, it had um, it had bird seed in its um, what is that called? April the crop crop, crop yeah. Um, because it was at the farmer's wife's bird feeders eating bird seed. And I was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> just shot someone's bird. Shot, basically. Yeah, shot somebody's like, yard her bird. Pet, her, pet, her, her pet turkey. Yeah. But, I'd be like, well, yeah. like going to my mom and dad's and shooting a couple turkeys off their yard. If I'm not hungry and hard up, I'd probably just go buy one at the grocery store because turkeys are very, like it's, not like a normal turkey you'd get at the grocery store there's not a lot of meat on the legs like you're generally really just getting breast meat off a wild turkey so yeah if you're if you're really hard up i wouldn't go spend um 30 whatever dollars for a turkey tag to feed yourself for a while (laughs) no kidding um when you talk about decoy and calling in turkeys like what's generally like let's say i'm gonna start turkey hunting tomorrow and i was gonna I need to get some equipment. What would you suggest to go and get for like decoys and stuff? I would get, if you can get two decoys, I would get a hen and a Jake decoy. Um, okay. I have a lay down hen decoy and she doesn't even need a stake to put it in the ground, which I think is nice and handy. She just lays right on the ground. She's ready for her man to come <laughs> mate with her. And um, or woman, it's is... 2023, Melissa. <laughs> I thought we weren't talking about any of that kind of stuff on this podcast. Oh, right. <laughs> um, but yes, we don't discriminate. We, I've seen some weird stuff in the turkey woods. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I can't think of the, the one situation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was the decoy. There was a, a Jake on the Jake decoy. Oh, First yeah. they were fighting with him and then they were also mating, trying to mate with it. So, yes. Um, but yeah, a Jake is just a more submissive and approachable. And if you have like a nervous bird, like a nervous Tom that wants to come in, but he's just like, if you have a big Tom decoy out, that's going to deter certain birds maybe from coming in. And I have all sorts of different decoys. And what I generally still always end up using is the lay down hen and the Jake. I feel like it gives me more options. Right. Do you think more decoys is better than like less decoys or no? No, I don't. I think like some people don't even use decoys at all to hunt. They are just down and dirty. They go with their call. They call birds in and shoot them. And they just think that it's better to not decoy hunt. I like the interaction I get with decoys. I like being able to call a bird in and see it like fight with one of the decoys um it also when we're bow hunting gives the birds something to focus on instead of coming in because they've heard you call like they, they hear a turkey call so they're coming in to look for the hen and they're looking around for her and i'm trying to draw back my bow like i'd rather than be focused on a turkey decoy personally but in my opinion anything that you're doing turkey hunting less is more it's easier it's less stuff for you to lug around right. um, and deal with so if you can just get away with one or two decoys, that's the way I would do it. Like we've hunted with more decoys out in the fall to kind of make a flock. Um, or we sometimes hunted with three decoys in the spring just to have more focal points, I guess. But right. the that's... more I've learned, sorry, what's that? Go ahead, April. I was going to ask, so how, how much, how much do you do? Uh, like I know the answer to this, but people listening won't. How much do you do to make sure that you're not seen? Like we're trying to take we're trying to take the focus off of us as turkey hunters, and you know by using decoys, they're hopefully paying attention to that. But you mentioned that they have really really good eyesight. So, what are you doing to try to make sure that you don't get caught? That's a great. Just wait before you start that, Melissa. I just gotta say, like that's a great <laughs> question because. I was listening to a podcast and Mike Waddell from Bone Collector was like, turkeys have such good eyes. Just think about it. They're looking for insects in the grass to eat. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? So like they can pick up anything and movement. He was talking about movement, like they can pick up on anything. So anyway, sorry to interrupt, but I had to, had to throw it out there. No, that's (laughs) such a good way to look at it. Like that's a good explanation of that because they do have, they also have amazing hearing um, and they have amazing eyesight, but I'm less meticulous about all the little things I do now because I'm just a little bit more confident and a little bit, a tiny bit more stealthy, I think, than I used to be. But if we're bow hunting, we would normally hunt out of a ground blind. And if we're in a ground blind, we try to wear black in the ground blind because we're trying to match our surroundings and blend in. But the older we get, the less I want to have to deal with and drag around or the less time I have to prep in advance and put one out. And we just want to move around on the fly and kind of hunt them down rather than just sitting and waiting. But so if we're not in the ground blind, we'll be in full camo. Um, And instead of just like sitting up against a tree, like I will make little natural ground blinds if I have time to try to conceal myself as much as possible. Just small movements, like some people that I take out turkey hunting, like they're whipping their head around and stuff if they hear something and you just have to be as still as possible. No color on your camo. Like I've gone out before and if I have something with like a red logo or 
I, or if I had something that had a pink logo back in the day when I, when all you could get was pink, uh, I would get camo duct tape and cover it up just because that's how good their eyesight is. They can just pick up on this other color and it could spook them. I don't Um, always wear gloves over my hands, but some people will cover their hands. I'm not, like I said, that meticulous about every little thing I do anymore, but it's good to err on the side of caution. I don't want to like mess up a hunt, like finally, finally get a bird in front of me. And it's spooked because I have red on me or you don't want to actually wear red at all because if you're hunting somewhere else, someone could think that's a turkey, like the turkey's head or something if they see like a piece of it. So what do you think like... (laughs) I'm thinking about these camo pattern things. What's your take on like all of the different kinds of camo patterns? And, and maybe this is like, I feel like I'm almost going into like political ground here all of a sudden. But, um, you know, <laughs> you know, that saying of like, oh, well, you know, back in the day, I just used to go out there with my wool sweater and my uh, pair of jeans and I shot a turkey every year. Like, and then you've got the guys that are like, so my husband. <laughs> yeah, chair. <laughs> Exactly. Just Jer shows up. Oh gosh. Uh, <laughs> so there's those guys. And then there's like the, you, you know, the pattern that I always call like little boys camo pattern, where it's just like the, the old, like big blotches, like maybe the old, old military camo. Oh. And then we've got like the brand new, you know, we've got digital and all of these like super fancy camo patterns and, and like for every different situation. So I don't know. What's, what's your take on camo? Like, is it necessary to be full blown or can you get away with the old school? I think as long as your color palette's kind of matching into wherever you are, then you're not standing out. Like if you're wearing like last year, I wore mossy Oak obsession, which is more of like, it's got more green in it than say bottomland. That's all Brown. I was wearing that even though everything was dead, but I was in spruce woods when we had, we had a lot of green spruce trees. So it wasn't necessarily matching the foliage, but the color blended in and fit. So yeah, I don't know. And then even if you have like mainly Browns, like if I was wearing bottomland later in the spring, when there's a lot of green, like I I think that that works. I mean, like I said, I'm not completely anal or meticulous about stuff like that. As long as you're like, I wouldn't wear like my, and that's why we take changes of clothes when we go out as well because I don't want to wear a hundred layers and not be able to move around. So I'll have black in the ground blind. But then if I don't want to wear a bunch of layers, I'll just have something else in my bag or the vehicle that I can grab if we're going to start walking through the woods. Mm -hmm. So as long as I don't think, as long as you're not wearing black out sitting Mm -hmm. under a tree. Yeah. Or, or pink or something like that, or wearing snow camo in front of a tree. You know what? And it really just depends on the birds. I just, I hate saying too much about certain things because we have like, there's some birds that we've hunted that you can get away with a lot of stuff. They're just not pressured. They're used to people being around, like they're hanging out on the edge of farmyards and stuff. And they'll come into Audrey's bird feeder and eat all the bird seed. (laughs) So they're used to people being around. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then there's some birds, if you're going out to spruce woods or a wildlife management area or just somewhere like that they're going to be, they're, they're smarter. They, you have to be careful. So I I don't know. And I think it depends too how educated they are. Like, have they seen this situation before? For sure. I got spoiled there for a few years after I finally got my first private land spot to hunt because I started out hunting on a wildlife management area and it was tough. And then when I got that first private land spot, 
how many years did we hunt there where they weren't pressured from the neighbors? Like no one was hunting over there. And then once other people started hunting next door, we started having a real tough time. And that, and that, which is when we started looking for other spots. What's that? I was just going to say that tough time only started happening like what, maybe two or three years ago? Yeah, maybe three years ago. And then once more people started hunting, yeah, next door, then, then we'd have to go find other spots. But it has gotten so much more popular because I could pretty much go knock on any person's door and they'd be like, yep, no one's hunting here. And not everyone would give me permission, but I had a lot easier time. And now places are all snatched up. Like it's hard to find a spot to go. We've made it too popular and I'm not complaining. It's good. Like turkey hunting is, is a good way for people to get into hunting. If you're new to hunting, Mm -hmm. you don't technically need a lot of gear. You don't need a truck. I've had a lot of turkeys in the back of my Nissan Versa. (laughs) It's like the gateway. Yeah. It's a good entry to hunting. I think, I mean, that's where I started. And like I said, I think anyone can, if I can, that's what I say. If I can do it, anyone can do it. And yeah. anyone will talk to me about um, having reservations or not knowing if they could do it or not knowing anything or needing someone to take them out. Mm-hmm. I just remind them that I, I went out and did it. And I think that says a lot. Yeah. As a first time, like Turkey Hunter, like, let's say again, if we're uh, going to help somebody out, what would you suggest going in the spring or the fall to, to target them? And I'll ask you a follow-up question after that, but what, what's your thoughts there? Like, well, when would you, go hunting for turkeys the spring is a lot easier because it's their mating season because they're receptive to calling and coming into decoys i've done a bit of fall hunting i didn't actually even go out this year um but that it's a lot harder like you kind of just have to come across them any luck that i've had in the fall is me figuring out where they are roosting and cutting them off at roost aside from that i've not had much luck in the fall luckily i've we're only allowed one tag in manitoba so if you tag out in the spring you're not hunting in the fall right so i've been lucky enough to generally tag out in the spring and i and i don't even get to fall hunt right have any of you girls definitely not well versed in fall sorry yeah i was just saying if any of you girls had a fall turkey compared to a spring turkey for like meat is it any better i haven't really found a difference no have you had one april you know, I've never really paid attention to that. I, I do think, though, based on like chickens and how if you feed your chickens different food, then they do taste a little bit different. Um, so I bet like um, turkeys, depending on what they're feeding on in the winter, you know, if they're in a farmyard and they're feeding on, I don't know, maybe they're like ripping up the alfalfa bales and they're eating the alfalfa and maybe maybe the farmer feeds them a little bit of oats or something like that, their cattle and the the turkeys are getting at the grain bin for the oats, then they spend their whole summer on grass and greens and bugs. And then maybe in the fall, they get like on corn. I bet, I bet they would taste different somehow. Like the corn's also going to put a lot of, put fat on them, which I mean, wild turkeys really don't have a whole lot of fat, but no. But if, if anything, have, they the corn would give them a little bit of fat, and I think it would change the flavor. I have I yeah. shot one Jake before, and I've shot mature toms in the spring and a few in the fall, and I haven't really noticed a difference aside from like the older ones are maybe a little bit tougher, right. but but not bad. Like people 
say don't shoot an old tom they're no good they're disgusting or when i first started turkey hunting people are like oh you're not going to eat that are you and i'm like <laughs> well yeah i want to try it and they tell me it's all dark meat and they're not very good and so i was a little bit nervous but i ate it and i thought it was really good and it's it's not all dark meat it's like a normal turkey just different yeah well there's a huge thing out there and my and this is my opinion is like we have to create some sort of like justice towards eating wild meat in our generation because like the, i've said it before in the podcast there's so many people in older generations that think like there's a lot of wild meat that's shitty and it's like well no it's not shitty you just don't know how to cook it mm-hmm. it's sure. like, i totally agree with just, that it's like you said about hank shaw's recipe like you if you can make a turkey like taste good i'm like i'm not a, a big turkey eater but from what you guys are saying like obviously that's a good recipe but you just got to learn how to cook it and cook it properly in the right temperatures and stuff but exactly yeah i think when i had first taken those turkey legs out i always pluck mine and do like a whole turkey for roasting because i like to make soup with it afterwards but jared wanted to try some different stuff so he breasted his out one year and took the legs and we had them in the freezer and i pulled them out i thought they were pheasant and then they thawed and i'm like oh my gosh what am i gonna do with these and so I started looking up recipes online and found that one and we were blown away. We couldn't That's wait awesome. to find more turkey legs. That's awesome. Um, I'm pretty much getting close to out of questions for you, Melissa. And I'm going to throw it over to April if she's got anything else. But we've been on for an hour now, so we can probably start wrapping things up so it doesn't get too late. We can get our beauty sleep tonight. But um, <laughs> April, you got any, got any more questions about turkey hunting or any more probes? Um. I don't think so. I had a bunch written down and unfortunately you took a few of them, which I was not expecting. Now I'm kind of out too. What do you mean unexpected? Well, they were my questions in my mind and you asked them in just a different way. Yeah. Well, to be honest, we'll say is that it's like, there's a kind of a two thing here is that a, I want to get you back on maybe late in the summertime, maybe talk more Turkey and, and, what's going on in the fall, maybe some fall turkey hunting tactics. But I think it's super cool that we can have people like yourself jump on the podcast that are not only local in Manitoba, but are willing to like give out tips, tricks and anything else to people that are trying to get outside. Like I was saying earlier, you know, sometimes the, the outdoor community is a little bit um, stagnant or or they don't necessarily want to help out. Tight-lipped. But they like, they, yeah, they, they preach that, that, that we have a great community, but at the same time, um, the information is hard to gather. So, uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. And not only that, I want to thank you again, because I know I backed out, I think last week I had some issues with work and stuff and it's been hard getting this one scheduled, but we finally all got together and got it, got to get it done. So thank you very much for all that. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. And if anyone does have turkey hunting questions for hunting them in Manitoba, they can always find me and reach out to me. I like uh, talking turkey and helping people out whenever I can. Just uh, remind them, the listeners, Melissa, where, where, like, what's the best place to find you at and what are we looking for? Uh, I'd say Instagram. That's where I mainly hang out and post. Mm-hmm. Um, turkeygirl.mb. Okay. Right on. And I won't, I won't change my handle until after turkey season. I keep saying I want to change it because I do lots of other stuff besides turkey hunting, but no, April won't let me. <laughs> I think you should, I think you should keep it. I think that's like, um how do i say this properly it's like you know i don't know how like i'm just gonna reference hockey for some reason because that's all i can think about right now but like you know how like uh 
there's like the great one or like the golden jet and stuff like that like yeah the golden jet was super fast at skating but he could also do a lot of other things so it was kind of like his persona right is that the right word yeah so that's your thing the tricky girl but you can do everything yeah well some stuff but yeah i feel like so many people will be so confused if you change your name (laughs) i would want to incorporate it in by like my name or something but Mm. yeah i don't know i've been talking about it for a few years and i haven't done it so probably not gonna happen maybe we're gonna when this um, episode launches, we're going to put a poll up on Instagram. And we're going to find out how many people want you to change your name. I bet you it would be like It'll be 1%. like zero. Yeah, I've It'll done just that be yourself once or twice before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's yeah, funny. Probably. Okay, well, thanks again for everything. Like I said, we appreciate it. Um, it's been uh, it's been a long time since you've been on the podcast. And to be honest, it's been a while since I think I've seen you. Actually, I've seen... We were out fishing Ninette, but you weren't feeling feeling well, so you stuck to your little shack there. I tried to I mean, be social, and every time I did, I thought <laughs> I was going to die, so I went back to my pot in my sack. Yeah, that was bad. You, you guys fish Ninette there in, in that Mac shack quite a bit. Like, what was that like? Like, did you guys do pretty good this year on Ninette, or was it slow, or what was your overall? Uh, um, I feel like the people that did good on Ninette, like there's big fish there, but you have to move around, and when you have right. a permanent shack it's hard to do mm-hmm. but every free chance we had to go fishing it was so windy so you know mm-hmm. what like if it if we didn't have that we might end up just staying at home yeah. so it was nice to have that and caught lots of tiny walleye um and then a few other decent fish thrown in but it was really nice to have a permanent shack to go to this winter yeah i don't like doing free ad reads but i would say like i checked out that max shack it's it, the thing about the thing about permanent shacks first of all if it's like homemade or an old camp or whatever i generally like them and i've often come up with like there's probably someone's done it but i want to do like a calendar of like the best shitty ice fishing shacks yeah. um i think it'd be um, super cool but but the meteor thing that they have the best well, they, something they have like the best but, shitty um tree stands or something yes, oh my yeah yeah and and so, that's what made me think of it yeah, so if we did like ice fishing shacks, it'd be like the Canadian version of that. Um, but what I really enjoy, enjoy about the Canadian or about the Canadian about the ice fishing shacks is like getting inside them, getting it warm, and like cooking food and just chilling. Like the fishing almost comes secondary sometimes when it when it comes to those cold, windy days. So that shack yeah. Yeah, can can do all that. That's the thing too. We basically just got to hang out and we would cook fish or. I think what we boiled hot dogs the last time we went out and nice. uh yeah yeah it, it doesn't take very long to heat that stuff up either so mm-hmm. you don't have to fumble around with gear you just go in turn your heater on and ready to go yeah yeah so we sure. like that cool well um again thanks for coming on and we'll uh try to get you on here maybe in the late summer or something sure sounds good right on take care melissa you too bye bye sweet That's a wrap for 147. Melissa, thanks so much for coming on again. And uh, Sheldon, what do we got going on here? Well, you know, I was just thinking about it. Um, You should tell the folks about our intro and outro music. I know we do it every once in a while. We haven't done it yet this year, but maybe we should give out a huge thank you and shout out. Yeah, and it's a timeless shout out because uh, if if you like the intro music as much as we do, that's uh, courtesy of Mr. Dell Barber, and Dell's on tour right now, one of the largest tours I think I've seen him on. Um, and if you're from around here, 
he's going to be at Park Theater April 20th. So please, uh, I'll be there. Boots good and booging and uh, maybe enjoying a few libations. But he's got a tour all across Canada. Now would be a great time to check him out. He's, I think he's just hitting his stride here, really. He's got uh, touring with a few good folks. He just got off a tour with Coulter Wall. Some really cool shit happening. So uh, go support Dell. We absolutely love him. And uh, yeah, thanks for the reminder, Sheldon. There, it's a good one. Yeah, like, and yeah, th- thanks, Dell, for 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 that because I, it makes um, the transitions a lot easier than just <laughs> listening to our voices. Um, but yeah, what's going on in the store? Uh, if you visit www.panoramicoutdoors, you can check out all of our merch. We appreciate anybody that supports us that way. And if you can't support us by you know buying some merch or rocking the gear while you're out fishing or hunting or looking for mushrooms or picking up sheds or doing whatever you do outside. You can always um, like and share our podcast. You can do that on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a comment, a rating, whatever you can do, because that helps us out to get great guests like Melissa. So keep doing what you're doing. We, we appreciate the support. Um, the last thing I will say is that big thank you to everyone that has been listening. We were ranked in, in Canada and the outdoor podcast world. I think, um, last time i checked it was around the 70s so we're in the top 100 so that's great and then we're also um ranked in sweden and luxembourg wherever that is uh we're sitting solid at number 35 so just doing killing good, it doing good in luxembourg where's luxembourg <laughs> maybe i'm not saying it right but yeah maybe maybe they'll have us out for a hunt or something like that there you go yeah fish but yeah other than that that's uh that's all i got man All right, so if we don't see you in the woods or the waters, we'll wish you good luck out there and uh, keep those calls in your case. I know I've lost a a turkey call or two. Keep those chokes tight. And uh, what else should we say there? Keep your your boots dry. This is the time of season where you get... Get your dry shots on. Yeah, absolutely. Good call. All right, folks. Talk to you later.